So, good morning, everybody. I'd like to thank Brad and uh, Sale Baptist Church for inviting me here today to share about what Bible League does in the world and the kingdom. When I first met Brad a little while back, um, I was deeply encouraged by the vision that um, he has for Sale Baptist Church and the tremendous zeal that he has for the word and the kingdom. I'd also like to thank all of the donors here to Bible League and the congregation today. You have no idea how much your support is appreciated. Hopefully I'll be able to distill some of that appreciation to you this morning. So I arrived in Australia in September 2019 with my eight-month pregnant wife, just on the cusp of being safe to fly, and our 18-month-year-old little boy, Joshua. The flight took 36 hours. Do you have any idea how stressful that flight was? (laughs) You do. (laughs) Yes, you do. Now, it wasn't until we arrived at Tullamarine, I must have got up too quickly from my seat because I fainted forwards into the aisle, at which point I'm reliably told our eldest 18-month-year-old little boy attempted to roll over my prone body with his trunky suitcase as he attempted to exit the aircraft. We were greeted by bushfires, and then we moved straight into the pandemic. The most draconian lockdown in the world, but I think probably the less said about that, the better. So I currently live in Monty, Montmorency, in northeast Melbourne, with my wife and my two boys. Montmorency very much reminds me of where I grew up, in Winchester in southern England, with its trees and its rolling hills and spires, etc. So if you've seen uh, Escape to the Country, uh, you'd probably know all about it. And my adult years were spent in London following my studies at King's College London. I studied theology there. So the passage that we're going to look at this morning is John 1:35 to 51. Please feel free to open your Bible, which takes place within the first half of John's Gospel, known as, known as the Signs of the Messiah. And the way that we're going to do all of this this morning is to break it down into three chunks. Firstly, What does this passage tell us about what it means to be a disciple, to be called? Secondly, what does Bible League do in this space, i.e., how does Bible League help to make disciples in the world? Finally, number three, what can you do to make disciples of others out there? So firstly, let's look at John 135 to 151. As you will know from your book of John series, the author of John, the author of the book of John was a son of Zebedee, an apostle, one of the 12 disciples, and the disciple whom Jesus loved along with Peter. By the time John came to write his gospel, sometime after 70 AD, the emphasis had changed from what happened at the time of Christ to who was Jesus. Now, Clement of Alexandria states at some point in the second century that it was John's intention to write a spiritual gospel, perceiving that the external facts, 
historical and material have been made plain in the preceding canonical Gospels. The recurrent theme of John's Gospel is that Jesus is the promised Messiah, Mashiach, and Son of God. By believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. Immediately preceding the verses of our passage today, John the author narrates John the Baptist's testimony concerning Jesus, his encounter with Jesus. Here, Jesus calls the first disciples. And all of this takes place in the first week of Jesus' ministry. Verse 35 reads, The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Jesus, by his sacrifice, fulfills the symbolism of the Passover lamb and other Old Testament sacrifices. Deliverance through the blood of the lamb prefigured the coming of Jesus as the Lamb of God. This lamb imagery will later culminate in John's vision of Jesus as the apocalyptic warrior lamb, as we see in the book of Revelations, bringing judgment and universal victory. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Verse 43, Andrew says to his brother, We have found the Messiah. Messiah is a word that comes from the Hebrew participle Mashiach, meaning the anointed one and is a summary term that gathers up many strands of Old Testament expectations about a coming one. And in fact, in Jesus' day, there was no one fixed, unambiguous understanding of who that one would be. But there was always a sense that this figure would lead, teach, and save God's people. He would certainly be a descendant of the house of David. Verse 42 says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you shall be called Cephas. Cephas is an Aramaic word meaning rock. In biblical times, God frequently changed people's names to indicate their special calling, as was the case with Abraham and Jacob. But remember that this is the first time that Jesus meets Peter, or Cephas. And it was in this instant that Jesus sees who Simon Peter was, who Simon Peter is, and who Simon Peter will be in the kingdom, the rock upon which I build my church. And I think this is how Jesus sees all of us, from his eternal perspective. An incredible experience occurred in my life that I recounted to a Baptist minister recently. I told him about the experience that I had when I was at King's College London in my final year in the chapel in my early 20s. I asked him, how come it took such a long time for me to become a Christian in the real sense of the world, in the real sense of the word, having had an experience like this? He said to me, it's okay, Chris. God sees you as you were, as you are, and where you will be. God has an eternal perspective on you.
can ask everybody a question. Who here has been called? Who here has been called? Raise your right arm if you've been called. Don't be shy. (laughs) By God, of course. Come on. You would not know the truth of who Jesus is in your heart if you had not been called. So I think everyone should raise their right hand, right? Hold on to that thought. In the second part of our passage today, John 1, 43 to 151, Jesus calls Philip and Nathaniel. Now, Philip is uh, linked with Nathaniel in all three of the synoptic lists of the apostles. In verse 48, Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree. Jesus here displays supernatural knowledge, thus identifying himself as the Messiah. Does anybody here know what a fig tree looked like until this slide went up? Now, I've spent quite a bit of time in the Mediterranean. Fig trees are extremely dense. They cast a shadow underneath them like an umbrella. And I'd imagine that if you wanted to get lost or hide in the ancient world, a fig tree would be a great place to start. But there is another meaning. If we turn to Mark 11 verses 13 to 14. This is the story where Jesus curses the fig tree when he is hungry and looks for food and finds out there are no figs. In Mark, Jesus' first actions after being hailed as king are to pass judgment on Jerusalem figuratively through the cursing of the fig tree. This is Jesus' judgment on religious leaders. Verse 13 to 14 says, found nothing but leaves, no figs. Now the fruit of the fig tree begins to appear at the same time as the leaves or a little bit after. The appearance of leaves in full bloom should have indicated that fruit was already growing. Jesus' actions here have symbolic importance, signifying the hypocrisy of all who have the appearance that they are bearing fruit, but in fact are not. And the clue here can be found if we go back a couple of verses in John, where Jesus says mockingly to Nathanael as he sees him coming towards him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. You see, in the Old Testament, the fig tree serves as a metaphor for Israel and its standing before God. I'm thinking about Jeremiah 8.13 and Hosea chapter chapter 9.10. In Mark, we see the cursing of the fig tree signifies the judgment of God, the fruitless Jewish people who had turned away from God into empty ritual and legalism. You see, this verse in John underlines Jesus' unrequited search for the true fruit of worship, prayer, and calling. In verse 49, Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. The term Son of God here designates Jesus as Mashiach, as predicted in the Old Testament. And here we see what John, the author, is very keen to do, to pronounce that Jesus is the promised Mashiach and Son of God. 
By believing in Jesus, people can have eternal life. Verse 51 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, is a solemn affirmation stressing the authoritative nature and importance of Jesus' pronouncements. See heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending recalls the story of Jacob in Genesis 28. Although in this passage, Jesus will be a greater way of access to God than the heavenly leaders on which angels travel between God and Jacob. And wherever Jesus is, that place will become the new Bethel, where God is revealed. Jesus is not merely a son of man or an ordinary human being, but he repeatedly, more than 80 times in the Synoptic Gospels, refers to himself as son of man suggesting the greatest, most noble Son of Man of all time. The Son of Man is that messianic figure that refers back to the mysterious human divine figure of one like a Son of Man in Daniel 7.13, who would be given rule over all the nation of the earth, as it says in Matthew 26.64. The Son of Man will be lifted up by being crucified, must suffer. And by identifying with the Son of Man, Jesus places himself at the very center of the eschatological drama yet to come. Now I would like to tell you about how Bible League makes disciples in the world. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples of all nations. As we know, the word nations in Greek is ethnos, which is where we get the Greek expression ethnic groups or people groups. Now, my question to you this morning is, can you guess how many ethnic groups there are in the world? Can you guess how many people groups there are in the world? What was that? Millions? A little less than millions. Thousands, I was thinking. Thousands, that's, that's the right answer. A little bit more than a, a thousand, less than uh, 20,000. That's a good, that's a good uh, um, offer over there. The answer is 16,000. Yeah. Were you going to say 16,000? I thought so. Now, the really important question is... I thought we were having an ongoing discussion about how many people groups there were there. <laughs> My, most, my important question that I have to ask you this morning is that how many of those 16,000 people groups have never been reached by the gospel? How many of those 16,000 people groups have never been reached by the gospel? That's the important question. I can take a percentage. 50% is a good, uh, a good answer. And a little bit less. Less than 50. The answer is 40%. So that 6,500 people groups have never been reached by our gospel. So brothers and sisters in Christ, a lot of work to be done. And that's where Bible League comes into it. I thought we could all read this together. This is the purpose of Bible League. So the purpose of Bible League is as follows. Serving the under-resourced church, so we can all say this together, serving the under-resourced church globally through the provision of Bibles, 
biblical resources and training to transform lives worldwide through God's word and help people meet Jesus. Very good. And look at the next slide, please. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware, but in the year 2019, there were 250 million Christians living in persecution across the world. In the year 2021, that number had risen to 340 million. So in the year 2019, 250 million. In the year 2021, that number had risen to 340 million. And getting resources to them is fraught with danger and getting more and more dangerous. In fact, every quarter we have a new country which is added onto our security guidelines. Just recently, Honduras and Mexico came onto our security guidelines, which is extraordinary when you think of the, uh, the, Catholic, the rich Catholic history and legacies that these uh, countries have. However, this means that for Christian missions working in the persecuted world, the work is extremely dangerous. Now, I didn't know... If you knew, but if you are a Christian missionary and work in the field, your name automatically gets put on a database for radical Islamist groups. So when you arrive in a Muslim country, they know you've arrived, and you'll be tailgated wherever you go. And they'll make no bones about it, because they always drive the same car and wear the same garb. And in fact, when you're going from one, um, going from one appointment to the next appointment, and if you stop off at a restaurant, they'll stop at the same restaurant and they'll have lunch, a few, just a few tables down there. And they know that you know that they, they're following you. But they will make sure that you do not do any work um, that they perceive to be Christian in their eyes. You get, and you get one warning. You get one warning only. So, for example, our CEO, we do a lot of work in Bali with um, street kids. And we'd arrange to meet the street kids on the beach and um, my um, CEO had been uh, tailgated uh, from uh, the airport. And the message went from the people who are tailgating him, the um, radical extremist, to his driver, get the white man off the beach. So he used his previous military skills just to disappear into the, uh, uh, into the, into the ether. So Bible Leagues also help other faith communities. We try to bring people out of Islam, Buddhism, and the spiritual slavery of Hinduism. We also reach out to the poor. However, you can give and give and give to the poor, but this really will only reinforce the poverty cycle. Unless you can change their thinking, they will always revert back to poverty. So the Bible League's Bible-based literacy courses, which I'll be speaking about in just a moment, will help to transform their minds and their thinking. And it is here that we make a gentle argument for God's Word and the Holy Spirit. Can we play the video? Nuni Gerecha or Muladlam Ziang Venena, Memor Puku Venena of Kimilama, the Venian is here and Yalemla, Nimbabi and Lulama. Put Memor Kumia, Muladlam Ziang Venena, only Nimbabi gets a poor. Send him a poor. Sumini Venena, Nuni Munisin, Matthew Sampe, Wahyu. Kiki Tangal Venena, Wada, Yosimna, Egingum, Kiama.
Thank you. That wasn't actually our video. But we do do a lot of work in Indonesia. Do you have the next slide, please? So we have three focused areas of engagement. Project Philip, Bible-based literacy, and church planter training. And this is about Project Philip. So let's have the Project Philip slide. So Bible link strategy is all about discipleship. Generally, we don't give a Bible unless people are being discipled. Because we want people to be physically engaged in reading the Bible. That way, it will remain in their hands and become a life study to them. This way, the Bible will become a part of a person's life. Do we remember the story of uh, Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch? in the book of Acts. And it's really this story that expresses the modus operandi of the Bible League most fully, and I think it's probably worth bringing out its most salient parts. Now, an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road, that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all of the treasury. The man had gone down to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless somebody explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Project Philip is a 26-lesson booklet centered around the book of John. Young Christians come and grow in their faith and go out and bear fruit, and that fruit remains. One could say that in this way, the Bible League is like a farmer. A farmer plants the word of God and cares for the seed by watering and fertilizing. That way the seed will grow and flourish. Can we have the next slide, please? Bible-based literacy. So there's no point giving a Bible unless people can read. So we're teaching both adults and children to read using biblical precepts and concepts. So if we bring Christian education to people, it will help to change culture. And these Bible-based literacy courses have gained significant traction in all of the um, immigrant populations of Australia and New Zealand. And can we have the next slide, please? Church planting. So Bible League are also involved with church planting. Since Bible League started in 1938, we have helped to plant over 77,000 churches across the world. That's 77,000 churches. We are currently planting, last year we planted 1,638 churches. That's 4.48 churches every single day somewhere in the world. Now, for a church planter to graduate, they have to have a minimum of 30 adults per church. So that's what constitutes a church in this instance. Some will go on to plant more than one church, and the average planter plants 1.87 churches in their lifetime. 
I found out an incredible statistic the other day. Out of the 8,000 churches in Nepal, the Bible League have helped to plant 2,400 of those churches. Quick mission field story here for you involves a story from Nepal. So whilst in Nepal, um, I was up at the um, Annapurna circuit, and um, I don't know if anyone's been up to the Himalayas, but um, it's about we're about two and a half thousand meters high at that point. It becomes very very difficult to, to walk, etc. And I asked this um, guy um, about where he's taking our box of Bibles, 50, 50 Bibles. And he says, just up, a, up to a village up the, up the road. And I said, well, how, how far away is that? And he says, 50 kilometers. Can you imagine? So your sacrifice in giving is partnered by sacrifices in ministry. And we run an efficient model because it's the church partners that provide labor. So, for example, if we were to go into a new territory, let's say a, a place in that Africa, Zambia, we'd partner with a group of churches. We'd then parachute in master trainers who then train the locals how to deliver Project Philip. That's how we work. So we empower the locals um, rather than uh, coming in to um, kind of instill our values, etc., so we run an efficient model. The prison Bible. So 15% of our raised funds goes back into Australian projects, and this is one of our most um, well-known um, products. It's the prison Bible. Um, it has 52 great life lessons in the beginning. So, for example, I found myself in prison perhaps for the first time. How do I manage my relationship with uh, the other inmates? How do I manage my relation or create a relationship with the guards? And how do I keep my relationship with Jesus on leaving, on leaving prison? So this year, we've helped to plant about 8,000 Bibles in uh, Australian prisons. And apparently the best thing about this uh, particular version is you can't smoke the paper. Because it happens. <laughs> it happens. And can we have the next slide, please? Yes. So this is our indigenous resource. We currently have 300 missionaries across Australia who use our resources. Uh, we worked with uh, retired Wycliffe translators on a simplified English version, purely for indigenous Australians. Uh, there's no cost for this resource. If you know anyone who's involved in indigenous ministry, please come and see me afterwards. Um, so we've got some new um, stuff that has uh, recently come out, which includes an introduction to the Bible, uh, because, as I'm sure you'd appreciate, the uh, cosmology and the ontology for the average First Nations person is very different to our own. So this booklet explains why the Bible was written in the first place. Uh, okay, but you can have a look at these uh, resources perhaps after. Right. So can we have a look at the numbers, please? Bible League grew by 30% last year. And 40% of Bible League's ministry across the world is focused on children and youth. We are currently in about 70 different nations doing what we are called to do as part of the Great Commission. That is to prepare people for the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's difficult to see 
um, what God is doing um, at a granular level. So I would recommend that um, everyone receives a prayer calendar. Um, the prayer calendars are on my ta- on the table outside. And the prayer calendar is great because it just gives you a snapshot of what the Bible League is doing in the world. Uh, it could be anywhere in the world on a daily basis. It gives you some idea about the huge um, diversity and the huge amount of things that we are doing in the world. Can we have the next slide, please? So this is, a, um, this is about a very specific way of how you can help. Uh, we have a Ukraine appeal. So if you've been watching the heartbreaking scenes from Ukraine on the news and searching for a way to help, you're certainly not alone. Currently, more than 7 million refugees have been displaced and another 7 million people within Ukraine itself. So that's 7 million people outside the Ukraine and 7 million people within Ukraine. It breaks my heart as a European to see this continent destroy itself once again. And that's just 80 years since the last time it tried to destroy itself. The most striking of all is that it is ordinary people's lives that we are seeing destroyed and systematically dismantled. And this is even before we begin to talk about the irreplaceable destruction of its art, its identity, and its very culture. So Bible League local partners on the ground, meeting urgent needs for refugees, fleeing unspeakable violence, and pouring across borders into neighboring countries. But many refugees are asking for one thing above all others, God's word. One of our Bible League source partners describes the scene. The pain of the local people is enormous. They do not show fear or despair, but anxiety about the unknown. And they are responding to the words of hope and strength found in the living word of God as a lifeline. God's word is a lifeline. It's so true. But they tell us they have no Bibles. So I want to invite you into an opportunity today to act, to help bring real relief and, and, and hope to people who have lost everything. Can you imagine that? Having lost everything, they're asking for Bibles. So Bible League is currently printing full Bibles and New Testaments in both Ukrainian and Russian languages to distribute to refugees through our partners on the ground. Now, Bible League is also engaged with distributing food, providing shelter, and trauma counseling, but it's only the, really the Bibles and the Project Philip that we, uh, that we speak about. Can we have the next slide, please? <coughs> the next slide, please. Please pray for us. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. And the next slide. And the next slide. And the next slide. Awesome, thank you. So you can help send one million Bibles that are heading to Ukrainian refugees, and here's how. Local partners have asked for 4,000 Bibles to be shipped immediately. We're currently doing about 50,000 Bibles a month into Ukraine. Uh, We have here a unique evangelistic opportunity. Your gift today of $45 can provide five full Bibles. $75 can provide 25 New Testaments. Now, statistically, each Bible is read by an average of five people. And this can impact an entire community. So if you go away and do the maths... $45 can provide five full Bibles, which can help 25 refugees. $75 can provide 25 New Testaments, which can help 125 refugees. 
And it's a family of five that can help to transform a community. So if Bible League has touched your heart and you would like to contribute, please see me outside. Can we have the penultimate slide, please? What could you do to make disciples of others? This is chunk three. Now every Christian knows we are meant to share the gospel and look for opportunities to witness to Christ. Yet almost all of us find it a genuine struggle. At least I do. The Great Commission doesn't feel so great after all. Complicating matters is that most of us do have a sincere desire that the people we love would come to know the Lord as we do. Who here knows somebody who you'd love them to know the Lord as you do? You, you, you must know someone like that in your life. I'm sure you do. Unfortunately, any passion and boldness we may have in prayer apparently evaporates under the spotlight at the dinner table or at the coffee, uh, the coffee break. In the secular world, attempting to bring someone else over to faith in Christ may once have been viewed as impolite or crass. Now, it's often regarded as something far more sinister. In fact, we could say that uh, sharing the gospel is the inevitable catch tacked onto the list of benefits we signed up for. It's the complicated and rather unwelcome add-on to salvation that God had included in the deal as the sweetener for himself. We buckle in, brace ourselves, and make the occasional attempt at sharing the gospel. When we can bear it, like stepping into a cold shower, we grit our teeth and get it over with. Okay, so here's a question for you. Who likes Scrabble? Who likes Scrabble? I can see some hands raised. Who's good at Scrabble? Who's, this is the next question. Who's really good at Scrabble? I see lots and lots of hands here at the back. Okay, good. Now, I'm useless at Scrabble, but my wife is fantastic at Scrabble. When she plays Scrabble with me, it's like the left hand playing the right hand. But I do have an appreciation for the two-letter words now. And you know, Jesus has got a favorite two-letter word too. And what's that? Go. Go from this place and take something of Jesus with you. You can go across to the road to visit your neighbor. You start wherever you are. There's a little bit of work to be done out there for, for secular people before they can trust the Bible, before they can see and experience the saving power of Scripture. In my limited experience, most of the time, it's about giving people the permission to ask certain types of questions about faith. People out there need to be brought to a place where they will willingly look at the Word and not just dismiss it out of hand. I'll tell you what I do. You have people around to dinner, you get to know people in the workplace, people go to the school, get the, to the school gate, or in my, care, in my case, the daycare center, and this is my thing, what, what kind of book would work for that person? Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis? Or maybe they need to look at, uh, is, is Jesus History by our very own uh, John Dixon, if they have an appreciation for the historical perspective. 
I have a friend called Mike who lives in London, and he played an important part in my faith journey. Mike's thing is to go into coffee shops and read Christian theology books. He tells me it helps Chris if I have God or Christ on the title of the page on the very front of the book. I tell you, Chris, he says, within 10 or 15 minutes, I've got somebody coming up to ask me questions. And never underestimate the power of a good question. Challenge people gently. Why would you say that? The best thing about this technique, of course, is that you don't really need to know the answer, although it does help. Just let them entangle themselves in their own logic. You see, I have the privilege of knowing and actually being friends with quite a few militant and emotionally driven atheists. And the wonderful thing is, is that the case for Christ stacks up from an intellectual perspective. And you can be confident about this. But I sense that the problem at the root of all of our struggles with sharing the gospel and getting the Bible out there is almost certainly right at the beginning with our view of God. Sharing the gospel is no clunky add-on to your own delighting in God. Instead, it is the natural overflow and expression of the enjoyment you have of him so that like him, you gladly go out to fill the world with the word of his goodness. It comes out of being called. Jesus went to the ones who were outcasts. He went to them because they were bypassed by society. And in that challenge, we get to know Christ. And you never know Christ better than when you serve him. But maybe it's just your circumstances in life. You do not quite allow yourself to go yourself. Maybe you have children or you aren't quite as mobile as you used to be and you are unable to go directly. So go with Bible League to help make disciples of the nations. The key thing here is to get people behind people who can, who are already actively working in God's kingdom, who regularly go out into the world. What we can do is to get behind them and go. Even better is to, get, to um, get on board with an organization that God has got his hands on. And can we have the last slide, please? Thank you very much for your time this morning. I'd just like to read a very short piece of Luke 12. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So when I first joined Bible League, my CEO told me somewhat surprisingly, Chris, God does not need your money. It is you who needs to give to God. Amen. And if I may, I'd like to finish with a little prayer. Father God, Abba, Heavenly Father,
I thank you that I can call you Father, that you reached your hand out through your Son, Jesus Christ, and the power of the Holy Spirit to this prodigal Son that stands before you today. I thank you for this immense privilege to serve in your kingdom through the work of Bible League. Father God, I commit all of the hearts of the people in this room to be open through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, I can never thank you enough for the privilege to pray in the name of Jesus. Today we pray in your name. Amen.